it's the better. It's the better. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's on. It's on. It's on. It's on. Look. It has also been confirmed that these occurrences are happening around the world as well. We are waiting on an official statement right now from the federal emergency. Can you see it out here? Oh my gosh. Is hell real? Is hell real? And I want to focus on this side of the balcony. Is hell real? What a question. Not a conversation to be had over polite dinner or a dinner, is it? You don't lead in with, with Hey, have you ever thought about your eternal resting place? And if you don't know Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to hell. Not a good way to start a conversation. Not a good conversation to have. You don't, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you probably don't appreciate someone insinuating that you could end up in that eternal lake of fire forever and ever and ever. No one would accuse me of being a hellfire and brimstone preacher. In fact, I had to check back to the last time I preached about hell, and that would have been about eight or nine years ago. I'm not a big fan of hell, personally. In fact, the last sermon I preached on hell was, hell, you don't want to go there. And that's an understatement, is it not? Remember the story about this young girl that was excited about getting married until she found out that her husband-to-be did not believe in hell. And she went to her mother and said, Mom, I can't marry him. I can't marry him because he doesn't believe in the existence of hell. And her mother smiled and said, Oh, honey, go ahead and marry him. He'll believe in hell. And that's kind of how we approach it, isn't it? We don't want to believe in it. We, we know it's there. In fact, in the gospel, Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. But today there are about three main views. There are more than this, but three main views about hell. And the first view is this, the traditional view. Each person is judged once and for all after and after death and given eternal life in heaven or eternal condemnation in hell. This is conscious suffering forever. Nothing on earth compares to this eternal separation to God. The traditional view. Number two is annihilationism. I did not make that word up. Annihilationism. Even as I typed this in, my spell checker said that was wrong. 
And so I had to look it up. This is a real word, and it means a period of punishment for some people in hell, followed by annihilation. This means that you'll, you'll suffer for a while, and then you'll be obliterated. And then there's a third view. It is my favorite view. If I had a choice to vote on one, which I don't and you don't, it would be the third view, which is universalism. All people will eventually be saved. My, my what do I want to say, verbal shorthand for this is all good dogs go to heaven. And I prefer that because I'd like to see all people go to heaven. I wish that were the case. And as we think about this and what is the correct view for biblical believers, the real question is this. What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus teach? I think that's a good question. And so we want to look in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 47 through 51 today. But Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God in parable, and we can understand and learn from what Jesus said. That's kind of the point of the Gospels and the Bible, to learn from. But in Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, Jesus says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Now, this is the English, step back again, uh, English uh, standard version in containers. And when I, when I read containers, I think of Tupperware, that the fishermen put this into plastic Tupperware. This is not the word. It could have been baskets or baskets made of netting or, or something like that during the day. But, but they threw away the bad into a different container. Let's go on to verse 49. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what Jesus taught. But that begs the question and helps us and and makes us think about what is hell really going to be like and if we're a believer and if we're we we we're saved by grace through faith we don't need to worry about this but but the other idea behind this is that we have friends we have loved ones maybe even family members that have never confessed jesus christ as lord and savior never have repented never submitted to baptism that we are concerned about and this should be part of the motivation to share the good news of the gospel with intensity with a level of urgency and in saying all of that i just want to share with you that not only did i have a difficult year like you did this last year but i had a two a perfectly good molar die on me come on Oh, thank you. I love it the way you have compassion for me. And it hurt like crazy. 
And I was managing pain with ibuprofen and Tylenol, mixing them up as strong as I could go until I could go and see the dentist. And a lot of people have made the comparison is that hell is like a root canal. And so I I went to my dentist that I really liked, and you know what? He did such a good job with pain, and he put the pillar in, and he capped the tooth, and it was almost painless. And and it was, I, I, I mean, if I had to go do it again, I would not dread it as much. But I've, I've had p- surgical nurses and medical people, personnel, that when I say root canal, they just groan inside because it's so painful. And I say, it really wasn't that bad. And a lot of people think that hell is like having a root canal, and it won't be that bad. And folks, I cannot over-exaggerate to help you understand how bad hell is. Jesus used every adjective available and imaginable to, to share with us how bad, how eternal hell is. And it's very, very disturbing. There are four different types of suffering in hell. Four different types. First of all, hell is a place of emotional pain. It is agonizing. It is awful When Jesus described it in this parable as gnashing of teeth, gnashing of teeth, you could compare it to, you know how you bake and you're really looking forward to the brownies and they smell so good and so chocolatey and gooey and they're your favorite recipe. And you check them in the oven when it's nearly time. And they're almost done, but they're not quite exactly where you want them to be. But then you go, close the oven door, and you forget about them, and then they're burnt. That is gnashing of teeth. And if you're hungry, that is especially gnashing of teeth. Or if you're a golfer, if you're a golfer, and you have this little short putt, and your stingy golf partner won't give it to you, And you have to putt it, and it's only a little ways, and you miss it. That is gnashing of teeth. Now, for me, gnashing of teeth is when I know I have a tool, and I don't know where it is. And I look, and I look, and I look, and then I give up looking, and then I go buy one, and then I find it. That is gnashing of teeth. That emotional pain in hell, gnashing of teeth, is the sound you make whenever you're expressing your frustration and regrets about your own mistakes. You see, why there is gnashing of teeth in hell is because Jesus, you heard Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and on the door of your life, and you were deaf to it. You knew what you needed to do, and you didn't do it. 
to let him into your heart and, and into your life, to be the Lord and the Savior, to be your leader and your forgiver of your soul. So hell has that emotional pain of the gnashing of teeth because you know that you should have responded. The second type of suffering in hell is physical suffering that we see in Scripture that this is a place of eternal heat and torment. I don't know if you worked outside the last couple days around here, but 91 degrees or high 80s and pure humidity is like an oven outside. You dehydrate really quick. But hell is no, I mean, this is no comparison to what hell is like. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, the Apostle John gives us this picture, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. I've read that hell is like having your body burn up and then renewed and burn up again and again and again. It's torturous. It is excruciatingly painful. I cannot come up with the adjectives to describe this physical suffering that you will experience if you don't know Jesus Christ in hell. So we have emotional pain, we have physical pain, and then we hell is a place of relational suffering. In a, in a local establishment in the men's restroom, ladies, you'll probably never see this sign, Said, so you might as well go to hell because all my friends will be there. And it's like there's this big frat party orgy and wonderful thing about going to hell. And I'd rather not go, I'd rather not go to heaven because my, all my friends are going to be in hell. Listen, hell is the absence of others. You are suffering by yourself in agony. When I think about the pandemic and, and the quarantine, and I would come to the church every day and work by myself, and I would drive, there would be nobody on the roads. And I just craved to be with others. And, and when somebody would come into the office, I'd stop whatever I was doing just to talk to someone, someone else. But in hell, there's no reprieve. There is no break. It will be all alone. And finally, the fourth type of suffering, we have emotional pain, physical suffering, relational suffering. The fourth is hell is a place of spiritual suffering. In in Revelation, it talks about the abyss, the bottomless pits. And as I think about this bottomless pit, we are ever falling away from the presence of God, farther and farther away from that spiritual life, that spiritual light that guides us into total darkness. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says this. It says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from destruction that comes from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His mind. It's the total absence of God. These ways of suffering are reality that Jesus taught so that we might understand how high the stakes are in this life. 
And then at the end of this parable, in verse 51, Jesus says this. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. Now, as I am preaching to you today, I can look at you and and you can say I mentally assent to the presence of hell. That Jesus believed what he taught and I believe what he taught. But it's not only understanding that we struggle with, it is the accepting part of where we struggle. That that means for us that those that we care about, those that we love, those that we rub shoulders with, if they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are destined to the suffering that I just described and beyond that. Because I can't do it adequately. There should be a sense of urgency. There should be a sense of concern. There should be a sense of compassion for those that are living without Christ. So you might say, well, Chris, I understand it. I accept it. But I'm still a little sketchy on this whole reality of hell thing. Why should I believe any of this that you're saying. I prefer even not to believe this. That's a good question. Why should I believe in hell? First reason I believe in hell is this, is because Jesus taught that there was a hell. In fact, in, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew alone, hell, Jesus describes hell, talks about hell 12 times. Now, in, in every area that I have trusted Jesus in my life, I don't have any regrets. But where I have not trusted Jesus in my life and I've gone my own way, guess what? I have some regrets. And, and to say it better, I have no regrets in the areas of my life where I trusted what Jesus said. However, I have many regrets in the areas of my life where I did not trust what Jesus said. And I'm telling you, folks, we've got to believe Jesus on this and to reject the concept of hell or to embrace the concept of universalism which I told you that I preferred you have to reject the teachings of Jesus basically I'm saying that you have to say Jesus is a liar Jesus you didn't really mean that you're wrong on that and guess what Jesus isn't wrong I believe in hell because Jesus taught it, but I also believe in hell because justice demands it. Justice demands it. What do you mean by that? Well, you've heard people that you know that aren't believers, that don't profess Jesus as leader or forgiver of their lives, Lord and Savior. They've said, well, that's just not fair. They might say it in relationship to A ball game, they might say it in relationship to something that has gone on in life. It might be something political. But you hear that there is this common grace, this common sense of justice. And what we've got to realize and what we've got to know is that the Bible teaches that God is just. And his justice is requires hell. There is a payment to be demanded, to be expected for the injustice and the sin in this life. 
The Apostle Paul writes it like this in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. He says this. He says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And that he will render to each one according to his works. Now, you have to read all of Romans, and you need to read into Ephesians and Galatians to realize that we are not judged by our works. We're saved by grace. He has already done the work for us. He's already paid the price for us. But we are saved to do good works. And I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm really not that bad. I'm not as bad as... You fill in the blank. Your neighbor, your co-worker, your family, your dirty, rotten, scoundrel family member. As long as you have one worse than you, hey, you're okay, right? Good in the family. At least I'm not the black sheep. And so we often judge by comparison. At least I'm not, I mean, if you're really bad, at least you're not Hitler. Maybe you're not Osama bin Laden. You're not a terrorist. So I'm pretty good. But folks, that's not what it's all about, is it? I just want to share with you as your preacher, as your pastor, as one of your preachers and one of your pastors, because we got some good guys, that I am a moral failure. And I just want to remind you that you are too. That I've lied, I've cheated, I've worked hard to make myself look better, to do, to, to, to deceive, to to cover, to, to live my life in such a way. And I've got to recognize that I am a moral failure. And I need a Savior. I need a leader and forgiver, forgiver a Lord and a Savior in my life, just like you. And, and if you're watching online today and, and you're feeling a little con- convicted, you might be thinking to yourself, well, everybody does those things. Chris, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, everybody does. And everybody needs a Savior, don't they? Because comparisons don't matter. Because what we really should compare ourselves to and what I should compare myself to is a holy, unblemished, perfect God. And what Scripture teaches us is that our righteousness, our good deeds, our works, no matter how good they are, are filthy rags in comparison to God's holiness. So I believe in hell because Jesus taught it. I believe in hell because justice demands it. But finally, I believe in hell because God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die to save us from it. If that was the only thing, that would be enough. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have eternal life. That perish has the idea of eternal judgment and hell. That is what Jesus came to save us from. That is why the gospel is such good news. I had a young lady uh, 
at the YMCA this last week asked me this question, and it it was this. She said, well, Chris, will murderers and the vile offenders of this world actually be able to go to heaven? And she, she said, shouldn't there be some type of balancing or weight to this and they shouldn't be able to go? And she wasn't saying it in a mean way. She was just, her and her husband had been wrestling with this. And I said, that is what makes God's grace such a great gift. See, no matter, even though there are social consequences, harming of others, murdering others, victims, and like in our federal penitentiary over this last year, there have been several people executed, and there is justice to be done in those situations. But yet God's grace, if they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, will save them as well as every one of us. But it's all because of grace. Paul, earlier in Romans chapter 2, he says this in verse 4, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's God's grace, God's love, God's kindness that brings you to repentance. There was a church that was looking to replace their senior pastor, and two people were asked to come and preach. And they actually asked them to come and preach about hell. And one of the, one of the preachers actually probably had a better sermon, better delivery, and was, what I want to say, more engaging, but they chose the other one. And so the guy asked, he said, I watched both tapes, I, I saw the video, They said, I out-preached the other guy. What was the deal? And they said this. They said, well, the other guy preached with sorrow and tears about people going to hell. And you preached like you seemed to enjoy to knowledge that they were going to hell. You see, there's a difference There should be a compassion and concern. No matter the person that you hate the most in this life, you would never want them to go to hell. You would want no one to go to hell. And if you believe in the reality, then that changes the way we do everything that we do as a Christian. Because eternity is at stake. People will actually go to hell. They may choose it, but no matter what they do, we don't want that for them. And we've got to realize, understand, and accept that there's eternity at stake. We don't want anyone to go there. And folks, I'm not a hell and fire brimstone guy because I don't want to coerce people or fear or scare them into into heaven. But I want you to realize that Jesus taught about it for a reason, but he gave his life also for that reason that no one could, would ever experience that. So this morning is just one of those opportunities where Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Eternity is at stake. I truly, truly believe that because of what Jesus taught in his word. And I ask you, I beg you to make a decision for him today. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal.